Morning, everyone. Now, I'm hoping that you've all got a, uh, a study guide. I'm going to be following fairly closely to that study guide uh, this morning, so I trust that uh, that will be a, a, a help to you. Also, um, if you're in a growth group, a number of our growth groups are actually uh, working through the book of Jonah as we go through this sermon series. So here's an opportunity for you to do it both personally, but also within your group as, as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we um, spend a moment in your word, we pray that you would speak to us by your spirit. By your spirit, through your word, transform us. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. As uh, Steve mentioned, we're in uh, the, the third week of the book of Jonah, but it's actually chapter two. So I hope that doesn't confuse you. Week three, chapter two. You got that? So you've got your Bibles with you. Um, now, if you uh, haven't been with us for the last week or two, we'll do a, a quick recap. Um, if you remember in Jonah chapter one, um, Jonah was called to preach against Nineveh. What did he do? Did he go to Nineveh? No, he went in the opposite direction, headed off and went to Tarshish. Now, he headed west when he should have headed east and he ends up on a boat in a storm. Uh, the storm um, throws everything all over the place and uh, he's thrown over the side by the sailors and he's now in the belly of a fish. Now, last week, um, Paul uh, brought us the word and, and did a bit of an over, overview of Jonah, comparing Jonah to the older brother in the prodigal son, if you remember that. And that was a great perception of, um, of what's happening here in this book. So today we're going to be looking at Jonah chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to read through that chapter. It's only a short chapter. It's actually a, a prayer um, and it'll also be up on the screen as, as well. So Jonah chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God and he said, In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very depth of the heart of the seas and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. What do we see here? We see a man in the belly of a fish. It's a remarkable story and uh, Paul touched on this, um, the, the, the irony in so many aspects of this story. But what is Jonah's story so far? And I think if we could encapsulate it, 
in these two chapters, chapter 1 and chapter 2, we see firstly rebellion, do we not? Chapter 1, we see a man who rebels against God. Instead of obeying God and going to Nineveh, he gets in a boat and heads to Tarshish. So we see this. Jonah disobeyed. And we can look at this and we can, we can tit Jonah, but we're all, to a certain extent, disobedient people. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, All have sinned, have we not? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We can laugh at Jonah, but we're not too much different. We've all fallen short. We all have rebelled. And here we are, we're picking this up now in chapter 2. We see a different Jonah, don't we? A different person to the one who was running uh, to Tarshish. And we call this repentance. And in these first nine verses of chapter 2, we see that Jonah now is realizing that he has disobeyed. And he turns to God. Finally, it took all of that for him to realize that he was in rebellion. Us too, don't we? We need to repent. We need to come to the point where we realize that we can't control our own lives. We can't control our own destiny. We need too to repent of the fact that we have turned our back on God. And this very little bit at the, at the end of uh, chapter 2, we can call this redemption. Rebellion, chapter 1, repentance, and then redemption. We see in, in verse 10, uh, Jonah was saved. The fish vomited Jonah onto dry land. Don't you love that word? I'll say it again. No, don't say it again. It, it's, it's in the Bible. Vomited. Um, Jonah's delivered, delivered from death. Now, it, it, it sounds gross, doesn't it? Well, it is gross. It is gross. Deliverance can be messy. I've, I've been in situations and I've seen other people as God has done this amazing work and I've seen people, they're in, they're in tears, they're, they're sobering, snot coming out their nose and blah, blah, blah. It can be quite messy, deliverance. But it's, it's a work that is... Necessary. I didn't think I'd use the word vomit and snot in the same sermon, but there you go. I've done everything. Rebellion, repentance and redemption. Now, with this in mind, let's look at Jonah's response to God's discipline. So, let's have a look. Now, once again, you can follow along um, in the study guide that I have given you. Now, remember in this uh, dialogue in chapter 2, Here's Jonah in the belly of a fish and he prays this prayer. And so the first thing we see in Jonah's response is that he cries out for help. Let's read verse 2 again. In my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help and you listened to my cry. Look at these words. In Jonah's opinion, he is as good as dead, is he not? He's hit, uh, I mean, you can't get much more rock bottom than in the belly of a fish. There he is. And you know what? Sometimes that's what it takes for people to look to God for help. Sometimes people will continue to rebel, keep seeking to control their own life. They will keep going and going and going until they can go no further. Until they've hit 
rock bottom, until they come to the end of their tether. And here's Jonah, he's come to the end of his tether. Think about this. Jonah is now experiencing what the sailors experienced in the storm. The sailors thought, we're as good as dead. We need to do something. And here's Jonah, he's as good as dead. I think sometimes allows, God allows us to go to the end of our tether. Because too often we lose compassion for those round about us. People who are lost, people who are struggling, people who are as good as death. We can easily define people. You know, you know those people out there, those sinners, we define them by their sin. Here in this story, we see that the people of Nineveh, who God called Jonah to go and talk to, where they were also helpless in their sin. And here's Jonah in the belly of a fish, helpless as well. Nineveh needed rescuing. Jonah also needs rescuing. Here we are. He cries out for help. The second thing we see is that we finally get to this situation where Jonah accepts God's discipline. He accepts God's discipline. Look at this again in verse 3 and note what's happening here. Jonah recognises it wasn't the sailors who threw him into the sea. Have a look at verse 3. Who does Jonah recognise threw him into the sea? You, as, as a prayer, Jonah praying, says, you, God, you hurled me into the depths. He came to the realisation that he had sinned and it was God who was disciplining him. It was God who was doing this work. It wasn't the sailors. It wasn't anything. It was what God was doing. Now, it's, it's interesting. We've gone as a sermon series, we're now in Jonah. The sermon series we went through just before Jonah was the book of Hebrews. And if you remember in the book of Hebrews, we got to chapter 12 and, and Paul preached on this particular chapter. And the, the heading of this chapter was hardship as discipline. Now, it's not an easy chapter to read and probably because we don't like hardship, do we? Anybody here like hardship? No, not too many. But the thing about it is, is as we read Hebrews chapter 12, we see it as a necessary part of what God does in us in order to help us to become more like Him. Let's just read through. If, you, if you've got your Bibles, I'll put it up on the screen as well. Hebrews chapter 12, 5 to 11. Just to reflect on this and think about it in the light of not only the story of Jonah, but also maybe for us as people and followers of Jesus. The writer here, Hebrews 12, verse 5, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children, for what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits 
and live. They disciplined us for a while, for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest, a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. It's a good passage. It's probably not, probably not at the top five favourite passages in most of our, um, in our views, but it's a necessary passage. And it was seen from this passage that, can you see that discipline is good, is it not? Although it makes us feel bad most of the time, discipline is good. And its purpose is for righteousness and peace, to enable us to become more and more like God. So the key is, how do we respond to discipline? Now, so I'm just, we'll just put the next slide up. There are a number of ways that we can respond to discipline, respond to the way in which God brings hardship into our life. And we can see in this Hebrews passage, we've got one, two, three, uh, four possible responses to when God brings hardship. So think about it in the light of maybe hardship that you've experienced. We can make light of it. We see that in verse 5. It says, don't make light of it. We can lose heart or become discouraged. In verse 5, it says, don't lose heart. Don't become discouraged. Verse 9, it says, be careful because we can resist it and invite even stronger discipline, possibly even death. We read about that in verse 9. But in verse 7, we read that we can endure it, grow in righteousness and peace. So here's our response when difficult things happen in our life, when God allows hardship as discipline, how are we going to respond? Now, let me give you an example. Imagine I've got a pride problem. Some of you are saying, what, you're imagining it? Anyway, let's just, <laughs> let's just imagine I've got a, a pride problem. I'm, I'm walking around, I go... I'm the best person around here. I know everything. If you want to know anything, come and see me. Hey, look at me. I'm really good. Blah, 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 blah. I've got a pride problem. What happens is nobody wants to hang around me. Understandably, I lose all my friends. Now, that is a kind of hardship as discipline. I'm learning a lesson because I've got a pride problem and nobody wants to hang out with John Wilson. Now, I've got four choices, have I not? I can make light of it. Hmm. I can make light of it. No problem. Make other friends. If you don't want to be my friend, I'll go and find other friends. No problem. I'm just going to make light of it. That's one way to respond to a pride problem. Second one is I could, I could lose heart. Oh, me, oh my. I've got no friends. The world is over. I'm the worst person in the world. I'm so discouraged. Why, 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 God, can't you give me friends? Uh, I need friends. I could, I, could, I could lose heart. I could get discouraged. I could resist it. Well, it's not my problem. It's your problem. It's your problem that I'm like this. So you get over it. Will you be my friend? You know? Um, can you see there's different ways that we respond to hardship that occurs in our life? Or we can endure in it and grow in righteousness and peace is what hebrews 12 says 
help me God, I've, I've got a problem. I don't know why I behave in this way, but I need your help. And I know that you're bringing this hardship into my life because you want to refine me, you want to change me, you want to make me more like you, you want me to be more righteous in, in you. Can, can you see what's going on there? Now I've made a bit of light of all of that in a way, but think about it, we've all had hardships in our life. And I think so often we think, God, why is there hardship? I want you to take this hardship away. Maybe we need to be asking the question, God, why are you allowing this to happen? What, what is it? What is it that you want to do in me? Help me to see, help me to see what it is that you are disciplining me in and through. Does that make sense? And I think so often the form of our prayers in hardship more like that rather than, God, just take it away. Take it away so my life can be more comfortable. Now, we see this in Jonah chapter 2. Jonah, in this prayer, in the belly of the whale, suddenly realizes, hang on a moment. Isn't that what he's saying? I need to repent. I need to do something about this. Discipline to the believer is what exercise and training is to an athlete. It enables us to run the race with endurance and reach the goal. And it needs to come to a point where we recognize, God, what is it that you're doing in my life? I need to repent. I need to ask that you will do something in me. Make me more like you. He accepts God's discipline. Point three. He places his trust and hope in God's promises. Have another look at verse 4. And Jonah is saying this as a prayer. He says, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. Jonah recognises that his disobedience has put him at a distance between himself and God. He says, I've been banished. But in repentance, he looks to God and he seeks deliverance. And he says there, I'll look again towards your holy temple. Now, verse 4 in in many Bibles is cross-referenced to a a passage in 1 Kings. 1 Kings uh, chapter 8 and more specifically verses 38 to 40. And in this particular passage, King Solomon is dedicating the temple and the purpose of the temple he recognizes god's grace to those who acknowledge their sin let's read this short passage 1 kings chapter 8 verses 38 to 40 and when a prayer or plea is made by anyone among your people israel being aware of the afflictions of their own hearts and spreading out their hands towards this temple then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Forgive and act. Deal with everyone according to all they do, since you know their hearts. For you alone know every human heart, so that they will fear you all the time they live in the land and you gave our ancestors. To a certain extent, this is what Jonah is alluding to. He's recognizing his sin. He recognizes that he has rebelled and he's gone his own way. 
God has brought hardship upon his life and now he's trusting in God's promise, humbling himself, seeking God's face and trusting in the forgiveness of sin. We find that in 1 Kings 8, 38 to 40. Now, this, to a certain extent, gives us a picture of the cross that we find in the New Testament and we'll touch on that very soon. So, Jonah's response, he cries out for help, he accepts God's discipline, he places his trust and hope in God's promises and fourthly, he submitted to God's will. Finally, Jonah realises God has answered his prayer. God has saved him. Now, think about this. Let's go to verses 8 and 9 of Jonah 2. Here's Jonah, still in the belly of the whale. He says, Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord. He says this, and yet he is still in the belly of the fish. It's not after he's been thrown up onto the, onto the, onto the, onto the beach, he's still in the belly of the whale and he still recognises that salvation only comes from the Lord. He recognises that Jonah couldn't save Jonah. The sailors couldn't save Jonah. The boat certainly couldn't save Jonah. Only God could save Jonah. Salvation comes from the Lord. Do you realise that you are not in control of your own life? Do you realise that? We don't always behave like that though, do we? Most of the time we behave like we've got some level of control. And yet there are times in our life where we just feel overwhelmed by everything around about us. And yet, in the midst of all of that, God's hand is still on our life. Now, I, I did a bit of a count. So, we've, we've worked our way through chapters 1 and chapters 2 of Jonah now. I counted, now you may find something else here, I counted seven miracles. Now, some of you go, John, what do you mean by a miracle? Hmm, that's interesting. Is a miracle just something that we in our own eyes see as being a really good thing? Or is a miracle something that only God can do, that's outside of our control? Now, if that's the case, there's probably more than seven miracles, but let's just work with these seven that I've found and let's reflect on this. So here's the seven miracles. God caused a violent storm. That's a miracle. Only God could do that. You remember in the, uh, they're all on the boat and they, they, they cast lots to find out, you know, who was going to, the lot, the lot ended up with Jonah. <laughs> There's a miracle. How many sailors on the boat? It ended up with Jonah. The calmed, God calmed the sea when Jonah was thrown overboard. There's another miracle. Went calm just like that. That's a miracle. He commanded the fish to swallow Jonah. Is that a miracle? Well, only God could have done that. He had the fish uh, transport him safely. That's well and truly a miracle. He had the fish throw Jonah up on dry land. Miracle. What about the last one? He melted the disobedient prophet's heart. 
well and truly a miracle. Now, why is it important to think about those sort of things? Because you know what? Quite often, these things don't look like miracles, do they? When you're in the middle of all of that, would you call them a miracle? Would you? I don't know about you, but probably not. If I was in the middle of a storm, I probably wouldn't go, oh, <laughs> thank you, God, for this miracle. Thank you, God, that I'm in the belly of a whale. Thank you. What a miracle. We're in the middle of life, and life is just all over us. We don't tend to sort of say, God, I just, I just thank you for this miracle, that you're bringing all these things in my life so you can just show me how good you are because you're going to lead me through it. We don't tend to pray that way, do we? No, probably not. We say, God, what are you doing? Get me out of this mess. Why can't I hear from you? All of these events are not accidents. They're not coincidence. It's not a matter of Jonah just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. These essentially are divine events to get our attention. You want me to say that again? These are divine events in order to get our attention. Certainly, we can see that quite obviously in Jonah, but it's easy for us because we're reading back into the story. What about in the middle of that circumstance? What about in the middle of the circumstance that we are in right now? Can you see divine events that are occurring in order that God might get our attention? Hmm? These divine events lead us to life. So what miracles is God doing in your life right now? And I don't think it's helpful to say, no, God's not doing any miracles because I feel really bad at the moment. Life's really tough. Maybe you're looking through life through the wrong lens. Do you know what I'm saying? would have been easy for, for Jonah in the belly of the whale to go, <laughs> nothing good's happening here. He ends up saying, um, salvation comes from the Lord. What miracles. And you know what's helpful is when you can start to see that, the next question would be, whatever these miracles are, whatever these divine events are, whatever it is that God's doing that's, possibly making us uncomfortable and shifting and moving us and all that sort of thing. The next question you've got to ask is then, God, if, if that is a miracle, then why? What is it that you are doing in and through that? What, how would you like me to respond? Isn't this what's happening in the story of Jonah? If so, why not for us? How do you want me to respond to this? What are you teaching me? In addition to these seven miracles, I think the story also points to a greater story. The story of Jonah points to a far more um, internal story. And we pick this up in Matthew chapter 12. So flick your way all over to the New Testament. Matthew 12, 38 to 41. We read this. Some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. 
And Jesus answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Hmm. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. What's Jesus doing here is he's connecting the story of Jonah to the ultimate story of redemption. The story of Jonah has many lessons in and of itself, but ultimately it points to the story of Jesus, does it not? Jesus himself declared that. Jonah spent three days and nights in a fish. Jesus died and was resurrected on the third day. This is the greatest miracle. Jesus hanging on a cross points to the greatest miracle. It was gory. It was, it was bloody. In many respects, it was disgusting. But nevertheless, it's a miracle. And we stand here today as beneficiaries of what Jesus did on the cross. The greatest miracle miracle he did that so that we might be delivered from sin and we might experience salvation as jonah not just escaping death you know the great thing about it all it's not just the fact that we just get our sins forgiven it's just the fact that we escape death the blessing out of all of this through what's been done for us is we're invited in as adopted sons and daughters kingdom of the greatest king we pick up in ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 and 8 paul writes this he says in love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through jesus christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves in him that's jesus christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. That's us. Children of the King. I just want to pray this morning however you feel is appropriate as we, we gather and pray. We just become before God now in, in Christ. That's the freedom we have to come in Christ and go straight to the throne room. And we say, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege that you have called us through Jesus to be adopted children of you that we can call ourselves your children and that what has been accomplished through Christ in and through the greatest miracle of all, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
So Heavenly Father, we pray that that would be at the forefronts of our mind, that we belong to you. And you are faithful in love and mercy. And I want to pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give us eyes to see that which is happening to us and round about us. For many of us who are experiencing uh, difficulties and and hardships and, 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 and struggles, we pray that you would give us eyes to see that which you are doing in a divine way round about us. You would help us to be able to see that you are seeking to, to shape us and grow us to be the people you've called us to be. So I, I pray, Heavenly Father, for whatever unique struggles and challenges that we have in our own lives, that you would help us not to make light of that, gloss over it. If we are, str- if we are experiencing difficulties, Obviously, it is for a reason. Help us, Heavenly Father, not to make light of it. But in the same sense, we don't want to lose heart or get discouraged through it, that you've forgotten us. For some reason, you you love us less than you love other people and we look to other people and they seem to be blessed and we look at our own life and we go, why are we like this? Why have you forgotten us? Help us to see that you have not forgotten us. We're not going to lose heart. We're not going to get discouraged. But also in the same vein, we're not going to resist what it is that you are doing in our lives. We're not going to make light of it. We're not going to lose heart or get discouraged. We're not going to resist it. We're simply going to say, Heavenly Father, whatever it is that you are doing in our life, give us eyes to see. Show us what it is that we need to repent of. We need to to give up. We need to turn from. Help us to endure through this hardship that we may grow, that we may show your righteousness and your peace through it. So Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you would allow circumstances to happen in our lives. Not because you love us less, but because you desire for us to grow in righteousness. Lead us, strengthen us, give us wisdom. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.